Good morning, everyone. Welcome to uh, day nine of lockdown and happy Palm Sunday. I uh, hope you've all got a palm branch to wave around at some point this morning. It's good to be back this morning and uh, well, let's enjoy our time together in worship and word today. Let me just read from Psalm 24 this morning. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. He will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Saviour. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. Well, this morning is Palm Sunday. It's the Sunday morning that Jesus arrived in the city of Jerusalem just a few days before Passover, just a few days before his crucifixion. And arriving in the city on a Sunday morning, the crowds came out and celebrated and shouted and no doubt sang that psalm, Lift up your heads, O your gates, that the King of glory may come in. Let me read just a portion of scripture from John chapter 12 that tells the story. The great crowd had come to the feast and they heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem and so they took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it. As it is written, do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. And so this morning we remember the triumphal entry and the arrival of Jesus in the city of Jerusalem. And we sing and we shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this morning, as we gather in lounges and around TV screens all around the countryside, we pray for your great blessing upon us. And Lord, while we may not be uh, with one another in body, we are with one another in spirit. Um, and so while the fellowship may be very different this morning, may the fellowship be sweet as we gather around your word, as we are reminded once again that we are your body, that we are members of your church. Lord, we continue to pray for the world crisis. We pray for our own nation um, and for the difficult days that have been and the days that lie ahead. We pray for health workers, for uh, government officials. We pray for those who have been infected by the virus. And Lord, we pray for, for our whole nation that has been shut down because of the virus. We pray for those in our own church who um, are struggling financially um, purely because there is no work at the moment. We pray for those who are shut in and lonely. We pray for those who are simply struggling each day. Lord, would you be gracious to us 
Would you be gracious to your people? Lord, would you bring uh, deliverance in Jesus' name? Amen. So I hope you're all coping. I hope you're all surviving the lockdown. Uh, I've managed so far, although I think yesterday I began to get a little twitchy, um, began to feel for the first time just a little bit of the cabin fever and a desperate need to get out and do something. And there's nothing that you can do. So the best I can hope for is a wander around the garden and doing a bit of mowing of the lawn. Um, just to let you know a couple of things that we're looking forward to in this week that lies ahead of us. Uh, it's the Easter week and on, on Friday, Good Friday this week, um, we're going to do something a little different. Usually we would meet in the school hall on a Friday, on Good Friday morning and, and have, uh, enjoy a service together. This year we're obviously not able to do that. So what I'm doing, what we're planning on doing, is we're going to have a, a pre-recorded service. Um, I call it interactive. I don't know if interactive is the right word. But we're going to look at the, the journey of Jesus from the garden to the grave. And you don't want to miss that. It's going to be really good. Um, we've got a couple of guys involved in planning this and putting it together. So Friday morning, it will be live on our uh, Facebook page and on our website at 8 a.m. on Friday morning. Obviously, you can check in right throughout the day um, at any time. It will be loaded up as a YouTube video clip. Um, but from 8 o'clock on Friday morning, tune in, settle down, and just spend a few moments in contemplating the, the, the path to the cross that Jesus took. And then on Sunday morning next week, we would usually spend Sunday morning at the Methodist Church just down the road for a sunrise service. We have for the last 10 or 15 years now um, enjoyed a church service together with the Methodists and with Christchurch and with the guys from City Hill. And we've all enjoyed just being one family in Christ and watched the sunrise as we remember the, um, the events at the grave at that early uh, first resurrection morning. We can't do, again, can't do that this year, can't go to the Methodist Church, can't leave my house, and we can't all gather together. But what I am going to do is, I'm going to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning, and I'm going to go and find a spot in my garden where we can see the sunrise. And I'm going to just do a short, similar to what we're doing now, just a short Facebook Live um, devotional um, from about 6 o'clock on, on Sunday morning. So tune in for that, and uh, get up early, um, and come and watch the sunrise on my, on my phone. Um, and uh, then our regular service, again, just doing what we're doing this morning at 9 a.m. next Sunday. So those are the things for us to look forward to in the next few days. Uh, until then, wash your hands, stay safe, don't infect anyone, don't get infected. When, when would you use the words, what a waste? Now, there's, there's a number of times, and there's a lot of wastage. Consider, consider some of this. I discovered this week South Africa produces 31 uh, million tons of food every year. We also throw away 10 million tons of food every year. So we produce 31 million tons, we throw away a third of that in waste. Fruit, vegetables and cereals account for about 70% of the wastage. And that's not just wastage when you scrape the food off your plate. That's stuff that doesn't get sold at the shops. Um, things that don't make it off the, the farmer's field because the bananas are not quite as bent as they should be. The CSIR says that, this is a value, that the value of this loss is around about 16 billion rand each year. The energy that's wasted 
each year in producing food that's not eaten is sufficient energy to generate enough power to run the entire city of Joburg for four months. That's how much we lose. The wasted water that comes along with that wastage of 10 million tons of food will fill 600,000 Olympic swimming pools. And when you consider that South Africa is a dry country, that's an awful lot of wastage. What a waste indeed. But there are other things that get wasted, right? You can waste your time. Um, a lot of us have wasted a lot of time this past week in lockdown, not sure what to do. There's times perhaps when you've watched a movie and gone, well, that was a waste of time because the movie was just so lame, and yet you sat and watched the whole thing anyway. Uh, perhaps you end up wasting time by playing games on your phone. You could perhaps be one of those who takes a look in a mirror and goes, oh, what a waste. That's what I do. What a waste. Um, except over the, after this past week of lockdown, I'm now starting to see the waste is expanding just a little. And then, then there's the things that you spend your money on. And when you spend your money, you've got to consider what, what, what money spent is considered a waste and what isn't. So is spending 50 Rand on a McDonald's meal considered a waste? It would be for some. Or how about spending 500 Rand on a fine dining experience? Would that be considered a waste? And of course, it's easy to sneer at others and how they spend their money and how they waste their money. And yet, when we consider what we spend our money on, we, we, uh, we're, we're quick to justify how we spend our cash. Well, this morning, I want to encourage you to do something that may initially sound a little odd. I want to encourage you to waste. I want you to waste your life. And I know that sounds a bit odd, but stay with me. We're going to talk about wasting your life this morning. If you have a Bible, won't you turn to John chapter 12 today? Uh, so I just read earlier the story of the triumphal entry as Jesus arrived in the city of Jerusalem. But just, just the night before he arrived in the city of Jerusalem, he stopped just outside in a little town called Bethany for a meal with some friends. Let me read for you. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and then wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So I don't really think I need to set the scene too much this morning. I think John's done a good job of that. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's been in the desert for the last month or two. Now he's coming to Jerusalem for the final Passover. 
And it's just a few days before the Passover when Jesus stops in this town of Bethany and enjoys one meal, one final meal, with these, his friends. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus hold a dinner in honor of him. And perhaps it was as a token of thanks for what Jesus had done just recently in raising Lazarus from the dead. Perhaps it was a moment of celebration to celebrate that Lazarus was alive. And I, I want to focus on the three main characters of the, sp of the story this morning. We want to look at Mary, who pours herself out. I want to look at Judas, who sells Jesus out. And then I want us to look at Jesus, who speaks out to, the, to, the, um, to Judas and to Mary. So let's, let's talk about Mary for a moment. It, it would seem that this family of two sisters and a brother are special friends of Jesus. We encounter them several times in the Gospels. And what's interesting, particularly about the two sisters, is that each time we encounter them, they're doing the same thing. It seems that every time we encounter Martha, she's in the kitchen. Every time we meet Martha, she's in the kitchen preparing a meal. In Luke chapter 10, we read a story of Jesus arriving for lunch at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And Martha is in the kitchen. And Martha, after a while of frustration in the kitchen, of things not quite going well, walks into the, I guess, the living room and says to Jesus, Hey Jesus, I've been slaving away getting this pork roast going and preparing the shrimp cocktail to start the meal, and my lazy sister is just sitting around doing nothing. Speak to her and tell her to get up off her bum and get into the kitchen and come and help me. And you would think that Martha's got a point. And yet Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're worried about so many things. He effectively says to her, just relax. And then he says to her, Mary has chosen the better thing. Poor Martha. She just loves to serve. And that's just who she is. And now here we find her again in John 12 at another meal, at another dinner. And what's Martha doing? Martha's in the kitchen. Martha is serving. Mary, on the other hand, is always at the feet of Jesus. In that story in Luke 10 where, where Martha has her mini meltdown, she's upset because Mary is at the feet of Jesus. And that can often mean that just you're, um, you're learning from someone, you're being taught. To, to sit at the feet of someone means to be taught by someone. And so Mary is at the feet of Jesus in Luke 10, no doubt by being instructed, being taught, and learning from Jesus. And Martha is upset that Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus when Jesus says she's chosen the better thing to do. In John chapter 11, when Jesus arrives to raise Lazarus from the dead, Martha comes running out to Jesus and she says to him, Lord, why didn't you come earlier? My brother would still be alive if he'd come sooner. Mary, a little while later, also comes out to meet Jesus on the road and Mary falls at Jesus' feet. Once again, Mary at the feet of Jesus. And now here we are in John chapter 12 and where we find Mary, she's once again, at the feet of Jesus. And for many of us, we, we're like Martha, we're busy, we've got stuff going on, and it's good to serve, and we should serve. And this is not a good reason for anyone today to say, oh no, I don't need to go into the kitchen and cook anything today. Chris said I can just sit at the feet of Jesus. That's not, that's not the application this morning at all. We're, we're all called to serve, but there are times when it's necessary to just sit at the feet of Jesus 
in humility and surrender, to be taught by him, to worship him. And so here's Mary at the feet of Jesus, and here's what she does. She brings out a jar of perfume. And we're told later that this isn't some uh, cheap knockoff stuff that you buy at the shop at the Watercrest Mall. No, no, this is the real deal. And in fact, it's, it's valued at one year's salary, one year's income. So, so just think for a moment. Uh, do a little bit of math in your head. How much do you earn in a year? What's your annual salary? 50k? 100k? 300,000 rand? What do you earn? And if I were to break out of lockdown now and bring you a suitcase full of that cash, that much cash, and hand it to you and give it to you in your hand, say, here's your annual income, a whole year's worth of money, what would you do with that money? What would you do with it if you had the chance? Pay off a portion of your bond? Buy a new car? Go on a fancy holiday? Find a cure for the virus? What would you do with the money that would not be considered wasteful? Because I think some of us would be happy to spend the money on, on games and, and uh, music and uh, perhaps a nice fancy steak or, or perhaps even eyelash extensions. But could you imagine spending that much money on a bottle of perfume? And I know some of the ladies are thinking, yes, we could. Wish our husbands would do that for us. Uh, but, but could you imagine spending that much money on a bottle of fancy perfume and then smashing deliberately smashing that bottle of perfume just for the aroma in the house. Would, would that not be a waste? Surely perfume like that should be just used in, 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 in very small measures, not the whole lot at once. What a waste indeed. And that's what Mary does though. We don't know where she got the money from. Perhaps this was a family heirloom that had been passed down. Perhaps she and her siblings had pooled some of their resources together in order to have something to give thanks to Jesus for what he had done as an act of worship. But whatever it is, Mary thought it would be a great idea to spend an entire year's income on one moment of worship, on one moment of devotion. Madness. What a waste. And yet, was it a waste? Is it ever a waste to give the very best that you have to Jesus? Is it ever a waste to offer everything that you possess to Him? And of course, there are many who would say, yes, it is. What a waste to give stuff to Jesus. And other, those of us in church would tend to say, no, no, of course, it's good to give. It's good to, it's good to pour ourselves out and give everything we have. I surrender all, we sing. And yet, if we're honest with ourselves, we very seldom give our all. We very seldom give everything. We more often than not withhold and like to sing, I surrender some, some to Jesus I grudgingly give. Here's what Mary's actions show. I think it shows three things. It shows, first of all, her adoration. She's at the feet of of Jesus. This is an act of worship. It's grateful thanks for from an adoring heart. It perhaps stems from what Jesus has done in raising Lazarus from the dead. But I think it's more than just Lazarus. I think it's a, a culmination of three years of being aware of Jesus. Three years of recognizing who he is and what he has done. Three years of understanding that this is the Messiah, the anointed one of God. And in recognizing that God has anointed Jesus as his Christ, 
Mary anoints him too as an act of worship and devotion. So she pours out herself. She pours out her very best at the feet of Jesus. I think it also shows her humility, not just her adoration of Jesus, her worship of Jesus. It shows her adoration, her humility before Jesus. In kneeling at his feet and anointing the dirty, smelly feet, she's acknowledging that the least of Jesus is worth her very most. In a sense, she's declaring his worth and saying, I am not worthy. And so there's Mary in humility, bowing before her Lord and Savior. It's humility in action. And thirdly, it shows his worth. It shows how much Mary values Jesus. So not only does it show her worship of him and her own humility, but it displays his worth, his true value. Mary says, in effect, Jesus is worth everything. The cost to Mary is not just in cash terms. It's not just a cash value cost, although that's clear that Jesus is worth my life savings. There are other costs involved. There's a cost to her dignity here. There's a cost to her reputation. Mary's heavily criticized. While John tells us that Judas is the one that, that, that initiates the criticisms against her, the other Gospels tell the same story and tell us that all the disciples joined with Judas in condemning the actions of Mary. She's, uh, the cost comes to the cost of her dignity and her reputation. And yet Jesus is so worth it. He is worth every cost. The worship of him is worth a little bit of dignity lost. He's worth whatever criticism comes our way. Wait, wait. He, his worth, it, 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 he is worth the cost that it is to my pocket. He is so worth it. And so Mary wastes what she has and pours it out in humble worship to the one who is worth it all. What's Jesus worth to you and to me? What's he really worth? Do you find yourself at his feet? Do you find yourself before him in humility, pouring yourself out in adoration before him? I think I often find myself at his ear in pride, asking him to get stuff done for me. But to be at his feet, what will I give? What will I surrender? What will I offer? What is Jesus worth to me? Jesus told a parable of a jeweler who had found uh, the most perfect pearl, the pearl of great price. Jesus tells how the jeweler then goes and sells everything that he has in order to possess that one perfect pearl. The point of Jesus' parable is this, that Jesus is the pearl of great price and that the, the jeweler will sell everything in order to gain him. If Jesus truly is the pearl of great price, what will we give to have him? And then did you catch the result of Mary's actions? The whole house is filled with the fragrance of the perfume. A life poured out in worship spreads. A life given in worship becomes a blessing 
to those around. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, We bear the aroma of Christ. We are the fragrance of life. The life of worship is a fragrance that extends to others. So yes, this morning, waste your life, waste yourself, pour yourself out on the altar of worship before Him, because He is so worth it. But of course, not everyone thinks that Jesus is worth it. Judas thinks that Mary's made a disastrous mistake. And Judas has serious questions about Mary and what she has done. What a waste, he says. What an absolute waste. Why didn't she convert that perfume into cash and use that cash? We could have used that cash to alleviate the needs of the poor. Oh, it sounds so noble from Judas, doesn't it? It sounds so good that Judas wants to help the poor. But John gives us a little insight. John tells us that Judas's intentions were not noble at all. In fact, the very opposite. Judas was the treasurer of this band of disciples. Judas was the one who had access to the money box. G Judas is the one who is, well, he's creative in his accounting. And in his creative accounting, he's able to skim things off the top. And to take a year's worth of income, three or four hundred pieces of silver, he could quite easily skim a few from the top. Who would miss 30 pieces of silver, say, from the amount given in? So no, Judas is not concerned about the poor at all. He's just eager to skim a little off the top. You see, G Judas can only think in terms of economic value. He can only think in terms of investment and cost analysis. He, he sees value only in what I can get. He finds value in what I own. He sees worth in what is mine to have. And who can forget that just a few days from this moment, Judas enters into a, a lucrative economic agreement with the priests. He'll sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Do you get that? Do you see how much Judas thinks Jesus is worth? Judas puts a value on Jesus. And that value? About one month's income. So here's Mary who sees the value of Jesus as being worth pouring out an entire year's salary at his feet. And Judas will sell Jesus off for the equivalent of a month's wages. Because that's all Jesus is worth. And then in case you forget, just a few days after that, Judas commits suicide. And it's suicidal to undervalue Jesus. The path to self-destruction is paved with devaluing Jesus. Devaluing his true worth. Mary loved Jesus. Judas loved money. Perhaps Judas loved the things that money could buy. I think sometimes we do like to say people love money, but I don't know how many people really do love money. But we certainly love what money brings us. We love the comfort that money brings. We love the power that money confers on us. We love the security that it offers. And we often will use money 
to show what we love the most. We use money to spend on what we love the most. And the thing that we love more than anything else is most often ourselves. But Mary loves Jesus. Judas measures up Jesus to see what he can get out of Jesus. But Mary sees the worth of Jesus and shows it by what she can give. How many of us, how many Christians around the world value Jesus based on what he can give me? If he can give me my healing, if he can give me that new job, if he can give me my best life now, then I'll consider him worthy. And so Jesus ends up being measured by what I get from him. But Mary shows true worship by valuing Jesus in what she gives. And she gives her all. See how cheaply Judas values Jesus. See how deeply Mary loves Jesus. Mary pours out, Judas sells out. What does Jesus do? How, how does Jesus respond to this? Well, Jesus tells Judas, and in the other Gospels, he tells the other disciples to, to leave Mary alone. And there are three statements that Jesus makes about what Mary has done. I'm going to deal with them in reverse order here this morning. He, he says, at the end, he says, you will not always have me with you. Jesus is just pointing out that in a few days, he'll be gone. And I think that Mary understands this. I think that perhaps the other disciples haven't understood it yet. I think they're still living in the hope that Jesus will kick out the Romans, that Jesus will, will rally the crowds, that a rebellion will start, that Jesus will be crowned king in Jerusalem in the next few days, and that Judas will get to be the minister of finance. And yet Jesus is saying to, Ju to Judas and the others, you've had three years to measure my true worth. And now, Judas, you've got just a few days of my presence left. Make the most of it. And of course, Judas won't. Mary gets and understands the preciousness of the presence of Jesus. Judas doesn't understand a thing. John Piper, preaching this from this passage, writes, he says this, he says, um, he puts words in Jesus' mouth. He says, Mary has seen my glory. Mary has tasted my grace. Mary has glimpsed my truth. And Mary's heart has been formed by this experience. And she has reached for the most lavish thing that she could find to express the inexpressible, a heart that matches my worth. And so you leave her alone, Judas. You've no idea of what's going on here. And so look at how lavish this display of love is. A year's wages, gone in a moment of lavish affection. Think what could have been bought with us. But Lazarus, her brother, is alive. And Jesus is the one who raised him. And Jesus is the reason it's worth living. He is the resurrection and the life. 
And so there's no measuring the value of Jesus. There's no quantifying his worth. There's no way to calculate the cost of love. There's no way to put the heart in a, on a scale and say this much affection for Jesus and no more. Jesus is inexpressibly wonderful and Mary is inexpressibly affectionate. The precious Savior. But too soon he will be gone. The second statement that Jesus makes is that the poor you will always have with me. So me, I won't be around forever, but the poor you'll always have with you. And so here's the thing for Judas, here's the thing for us. You've got the rest of your life to serve the poor. How will you do that? So come on, Judas, let's see you serve the poor. Jesus reminds us here, not just that we always have the poor so that we can ignore them, but that we always have the poor with us and that it is the responsibility of the disciples and those who come after them to serve the poor. And then thirdly, Jesus says this, she has kept this for my burial, which sounds a little odd because Jesus isn't being buried at the moment. Um, some wonder, did she leave a little bit of that perfume left over for a few days time when he does get buried? Is it that perhaps this perfume has been bought for his burial and, and Mary got there too early and has wasted it a week before its time? Here's what I think is going on. Jesus knows that Mary is preparing him for his death. And Mary knows that his death is coming. I think Mary has paid attention to the words of Jesus. Mary has paid attention to what's going on in the city of Jerusalem. Mary has heard the rumblings from the priests. Mary knows. The others may have some idea, but Mary knows. And she's getting herself ready for just a few days' time. She's getting Jesus ready for his soon and coming death and burial. Mary understands that the time is short and rather express devotion at a graveside in a week's time, she'll express her devotion here and now at a dinner table. I've heard people say sometimes that our funerals are sad because people get up and say such wonderful things about the guy who's dead. Why didn't they say all those wonderful things a week or two earlier when you could still have heard it? And I guess that's Mary's thinking right here. Why wait till Jesus is dead to pour out perfume and worship at his feet? Why not do it now? Why he's still here. And so she anoints him for his burial and prepares him for his death. And not in some kind of creepy goth kind of way, but in faith-filled anticipation of this. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me shall live even though they die. That's the faith. That Mary holds on to. And Mary may have poured out her treasure here, but she will treasure this memory in the days to come. And so, wasteful Mary pours out the things that are most valued because he's worthy. He's worth the cost. And she's willing to waste it all for Jesus. In the years since then, there have been many who've wasted their lives for Jesus. There have been many who have given their lives, given their all for him. 
in preparing for this week, I found um, a quote from John Patton. John Patton lived in the 1800s and took the gospel. Well, I'll tell you in a moment. When John Patton let it be known that he planned to move with his new bride to take the gospel to the cannibals in the South Sea Islands, an old man in his church would say, would say regularly, you'll be eaten by cannibals. Finally, after hearing this time and time again, John Patton grew exasperated and replied to him, My dear sir, you're getting up in years and soon will be laid in the grave and will be eaten by worms. If I can live and die honoring the Lord Jesus, it doesn't matter to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or eaten by worms. And on Resurrection Day, my body will arise as fair as yours. John Patton was willing to pour it all out, give it away. It was considered by many to be a waste of a young life. And yet he poured it out for the sake of Jesus. John Piper preached a sermon many years ago called Don't Waste Your Life. And I guess he was saying the same thing I'm trying to say here now. He spoke then about two 80-year-old nuns who'd been murdered in Africa and their uh, story made newspapers all around the world and the headlines were, what a waste. And John said, no, that's not a waste. Let me tell you what a wasted life is. A wasted life is retiring at 55, moving down to Florida and spending the rest of your life collecting shells. That's a waste. That's what I'm trying to say this morning. You can waste your life collecting seashells. Or you could replace seashells with Van Gogh paintings. Or nice photos of international holiday destinations that you've been to. You can spend your life, you can waste your life collecting lovers, collecting business deals, collecting awards and certificates, collecting uh, who knows what. But giving your life in worship and service to the one who gives life? If you're going to pour yourself out for something, then pour yourself out at the feet of Jesus. Extravagant worship. Extravagant love. Why? Because we have seen His true worth. Let's pray together. And so Lord Jesus, we come this morning seeing Mary and seeing her desire to pour herself out and give her all for you. And yet so often I think we see ourselves in Judas, unwilling to be wasteful, wanting to see what we can get out of it, what's in it for us. Lord, I pray, fill our hearts with extravagant worship, with extravagant love for the one who has given his all for us. May we pour ourselves and pour all we have at your feet in humble worship, in humble surrender, as we see your true inexpressible worth. Lord, we love you. Amen. I would usually say join us for a cup of coffee after the service and well you can go to the kitchen boil the kettle make yourself a cup and uh we'll see you soon god bless